And hello, everyone. Welcome to the Social X Stories podcast. My name's Liz Murphy. And who are you over there in Zoom world? Hi, everyone. It's Dr Mim Fox. I know we're Zooming from what feels like so far away, Liz. Back in the cupboard. Oh, gosh, we had a brief moment there where we were actually in the same space and could record together. Now, now I'm back in my cupboard. I know, I know. We're looking at increased numbers in Australia and, you know, around the world. This COVID is still going, Liz. How is it still going? I don't understand. Yeah, oh. it's, it's, it's the ever changing, morphing mystery that we share with everyone at the moment. I know, I know. Hope you're all doing okay out there, everyone. Really thinking about you all. We are, we are. We really are thinking about you all. And that's why we just keep on plugging away at the podcast because we feel like it's our way of just... Letting you know that we're out here and we're thinking of you and we're connecting through our stories as per usual and it's at least one little routine and ritual that we can offer you um, in this ever-changing world. But the reality as well, Liz, is that just a pandemic doesn't stop social work practice. Like, no way, we have colleagues. No we have way. colleagues who are working harder than ever. So actually um, a shout-out to all of you out there who found that your jobs have gotten that much harder through the pandemic, that uh, the people that you're working with are doing it tougher and um, are just that much more vulnerable at these times. Like, really, we're there with you. Absolutely. And... We're there today. We're back in the group workspace, Mim. You know it's how amazing. we often say, gosh, I wish more social workers were using groups. I think our <laughs> podcast, I, I think we've had this, like when I think about it, we have got amazing group work stories to share with our listeners. And now if we can't promote it via the podcast and, and help encourage social workers to think about it in terms of their practice, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. What else more can we do? I know. It actually is amazing how many group work social workers have come out to tell us their stories on this podcast. Like here you and I thought it was a dying practice, a dying intervention, and I'm so glad it's not, I have to say. (laughs) Me too, me too. And this particular episode today is using group work in what what I personally would find a pretty challenging space, and that is to work with young men. Yeah. Um, at varying ages, she'll talk a little bit about the different groups that she does. But I, I must admit, I've I, my practice has often been with women, and uh, it was so refreshing to hear another feminist social worker, yeah, who has also worked with young women, but using the knowledge and the framework of feminism. Yeah. to work with young men and I thought that was just so interesting. I've learned a lot or just from this, this 15 minutes that she tells us about how she works in this group. Did you? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, look, I really enjoyed it. And um, uh, I guess before we before we play um, the story, I'd I'd like to ask our listeners just to think about how you're check in with yourselves today. Think about how you're feeling on a scale of one to ten. Where would you put yourself today? And uh, we might um, let you listen to this story from our social work colleague, and um, and then come back to that at the end of our episode and see where see where you placed yourself on the scale. All right. See you on the other side, everyone. Uh, I work for an organisation that supports and works with young men and 
our goal is that more young men live safe and healthy lives. Um, I think our organisation came about as our CEO was seeing this overrepresentation of men in certain statistics, so suicide rates, incarceration rates, risk-taking behaviour, um, and also noticed that there was a bit of a gap in services for young men. So we have a few programs, but we're mainly a school education outreach program. Uh, we have a program for primary school boys in year five and six, which has a focus on transitioning um, from primary school to high school. Uh, we have a program for 16 to 25-year-old men, which focuses on connecting young men to support services and, and re-engaging them with community um, to decrease, decrease feelings of isolation. And then we have what I would say is our main program, which is our high school outreach with the 9 and 10 boys, um, where we run weekly groups. Uh, it's a 16-week program, and we cover topics like mental health, anger management, healthy relationships, pornography, which is always a really fun one, uh, risk-taking and peer pressure and, and masculinity. Um, we work directly with schools, so they'll either approach us or we'll reach out to them about the program. I think originally, and you know, this still happens, the schools would select students to attend that might have had some behavioural issues or there were some issues around welfare, um, so they would be selected to participate in the program. Uh, but we definitely encourage and work with the schools to have as many students as possible participate in the program because this is important stuff for all young men to be learning and I think it's important that we create as much space as possible for young men to get together and chat with peers and role models about the issues affecting them. Um, I think when I tell people what I do, they sometimes respond with, oh God, that must be really difficult talking to teenage boys um, particularly about topics like pornography or sexuality. Um, but it is, it's mostly fun and it's really enjoyable work. It's a lot of energy and it's a lot of enthusiasm. So I like that part of it. Um, I also think people find it funny that I do this work because my background is working with young women um, and in particular women experiencing domestic and family violence. And I have feminists tattooed across my forehead. So <laughs> I think people are slightly surprised when I work in this area with young men. But if anything, this just it's a great asset for working in this space because it gives me a really strong grounding and foundation for when we do discuss domestic violence or consent because I can debunk some of the myths that the boys may throw at me. Um, like I do hear a lot that, you know, women make it up about being sexually assaulted or, you know, women abuse men too and I can chat to them about the experiences I've had working with women in these situations and it gives me some credibility and I think they really respect that I sort of know know what I'm talking about here and maybe they should think about it this way. Um, so that, yeah, it's a real asset to have that background, I think. Um, so, yeah, we run weekly groups with anywhere from 6 to 15 boys. Um, I think my perfect number is 8. So I reckon that makes it intimate enough to have the boys feel comfortable to share a bit more. Um, we make an effort to shake the boys' hands when they come in. This is pre-COVID. <laughs> um, and we ask them how their day was. We ha like to have a little chat about literally anything. And usually with my other co-facilitator, it's about music because they're very passionate about that. So I'm learning a lot about hip-hop and heavy metal and certain genres I never would have learned about before. So that's good. And I think we like doing that because we just like to role model having normal everyday conversations with each other and 
and that communication is really key in developing relationships. So just having that little chat at the start is really important. Um, what I also usually do is I ask all of the boys their numbers for the day. So from one to 10, you know, 10 being the best day of your life and one being the worst day of your life because your Fredo frog melted in your car seat. Um, and I think that's a really important process and it gives you a good space to check in with firstly how they're feeling so you can sort of respond to that. So, oh, you're a six today. Is that a good number for you? Or is that just average? Um, oh, you're a three today. What's going on, mate? Has it been a crap day? Has something happened? Um, and I really like this little ritual because it's, it's developing their own skill of checking in with themselves, um, seeing how they're feeling and then being able to articulate it. And I think being able to articulate that in front of peers is really important and it normalises the fact that you can just do this little thing like, oh, I feel this way, that's cool, you know, let's keep going. Um, what I really love is when the boys, it's usually a few, few weeks in, so I'll ask them all their numbers and then one of them or a couple of them will say, hey, miss, what's your number? How are you feeling? And I always feel like I could just end the program there. <laughs> I mean, if the only thing you learn from this is, is how to check in with yourself and then and then to check in with someone else. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy. Um, I think a lot of this work is a bit of a balancing act. Um, we have such a focus on creating this safe space for young men to express their feelings and thoughts and, and be themselves, but then we also really have to challenge some of the behaviours and, and opinions that are presented. You know, I think a lot of these boys are often told they're disruptive or or they're bad, or they just they hear this message that, you know, boys will be boys and behave badly. And we don't want them to think that about themselves or even use that as a cop-out to behave that way. So we place really high expectations on how we discuss the topics um, rather than behaviour management stuff like swinging on chairs or even swearing. You know, I think I think that helps to the boys to feel more comfortable, um, I think it also helps for them to actually listen to us when we do challenge them. So a good example is that we say our swear words in this group are words like fag or pussy or slut. You know, they're the words that we find more offensive and these are the words we're probably going to challenge you on. Um, and just by doing that, I think the boys then think more about their words and, and why they're offensive and, and what they mean. So, yeah, language is a big thing that we will call the boys on. Um I mean, obviously there are some really challenging times working in this space and I think particularly more so for me sometimes being a woman and, and having the background that I've worked in. Um, you do hear a lot of, I guess, crappy comments and concerning comments um, sometimes. And But I have to stress that these are the crappy comments and the, the things that are really hard to deal with are the minority. This is a space that's very much more positive and you see the best out of these young men and you see them articulate their thoughts and their feelings quite well, which I am really honoured to be a part of and sort of see it happen. Um, but there is a group I have at the moment and I call them my make it or break it group because they're either going to make my day or break my day. Um, they're a big group and they're the type of group where you know if you were to work one-on-one -on -one with them, they would be amazing. Uh, but as a group, they're just giving in to this pack mentality and, and group behaviour that's so disappointing sometimes. Um, it doesn't matter what topics we're talking about, there will sort of be inappropriate comments left, right and centre. Um, you know, we were talking about drugs and, and alcohol and we discussed the seven stages of intoxication and 
one of the stages is stupor, and that's described as where you might be passed out. And one of the boys said, well, that's when she's the most easy. Um, and it's so hard to respond in that moment because they are the comments I get the most agitated by because it just seems like a dumb, smart-ass, big-noting comment, which is said to prop whatever he needs to be propped up right now. And the comments that sexualize or degrade women get me really agitated because, you know, I've heard them all my life. I heard them when I was in school. And when you hear them from teenage boys now, you think, ah, it's still happening. It's never going to change. You know, I've worked with women who've been sexually assaulted and harassed and I've seen and felt the impact of those comments. You know, women know this and we live this. So this is everything that I'm thinking in that moment. So I'm literally spiraling from this one comment and I can feel it in my body and my chest is heavy and my face is flushed and my whole body responds to comments like that. And what I used to do was react really quickly and get frustrated and mad at whoever said it or I would I'd just ignore it and keep going with what I was saying. And the more I was doing this, the more agitated I was getting. It would set me off for the rest of the group or the day. Um, and I was doing it again and again. And it was just getting more, I was getting more reactive and almost, you know, armoring up ready to go for these comments to get in a little back and forth almost. Um, so this obviously was not working, like handling these comments this way. Uh, the first thing it was doing was hindering the most important thing to me in this space, and that was my relationship with the boys. You know, they're the client. They're who I'm here to hear from, and they're the ones I want to be here to support. So I need to just flick my brain on a bit more and dig a little deeper with that comment. You know, why would they be making a comment like that? You know it's to validate some sort of approval from their peers. Um, you know it leads into it comes into masculinity and, and feeling the pressure to act in a certain way. Um, you know, you know this boy is not a monster. He's a boy and he's impacted by these comments and words too. You know, he's feeling the pressure to conform and, and perform right now. Um, so I, I was finding that I wasn't apply, applying the same approach of when I was working with young women. You know, when they would say concerning comments, I would think, where is that coming from? You know, that is a symptom of something. I was more empathetic and understanding. And with the boys, I was smacking these comments down and getting frustrated. So I was doing exactly what I was trying to stop, um, to stop in the world. You know, I was closing their space um, to talk. I wasn't opening it up. So I was, I was thinking, how can I handle this better? You know, how can you challenge that comment and thought? But because it does need to be challenged, but how can you make it more empathetic and make it a teachable moment, not a confrontation? Um, so what I started to do was when those comments were made, and almost always if one was made, um, then more would be made throughout the lesson. So instead of saying anything, I would just walk over to the board and write it down, write the comment down, and then another comment would be made, same thing, walk over to the board, write it down, um, I'd do this almost the whole lesson, every comment that was made that was derogatory or offensive, I would go and write down to the board. Um, and then towards the end of the lesson, I would draw this big triangle around those statements uh, with them at the base of the triangle. Um, and what I would explain is that these comments that you're making, you know, they may seem like throwaway comments or you know, that they're jokes and they have no meaning, but what they're doing is they're making up the base of this pyramid, you know, these this space of this pyramid is full with sexist comments and, and rape jokes and catcalling. And this is where it's all where it starts and it, it sets the foundation for moving further up the pyramid. You know, when you move further up, there could be things like sharing non-consensual images, 
Um, it could be victim blaming. It could be revenge porn. You know, so we're moving up the pyramid and these are becoming actions. And then, you know, what do you think is right at the top of this pyramid? What's going to, what's all of this going to lead to? You know, it's going to lead to sexual assault. It's going to lead to violence. Um, and I think having that visual for them and being able to see how we connect the dots from those comments to sexual assault and violence, and because they can see it, it's, it's really effective. Um, and it allows us to turn those comments into, into teachable moments rather than a back and forth between us, you know, and... I think we also make the statement of saying that these comments, they hurt all of us. Like they create, they create violence in the world and they create harassment in the world. So we know that this is not the men that you want to be. We can see that in everything that we talk about and all the wonderful, insightful things you say all the time. You know, these are comments we know you're not proud of. So this is why we need to check them sometimes and it's important that we check them. It's not about you, it's about what we're creating if we continue to sort of act that way. So, yeah. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to highlight about the groups and the boys that we work with is that they're really fun and, yeah, a lot of energy and activity and that makes tackling these issues so much easier. Um, Humour is a really good tool to sometimes navigate some tricky topics. You know, it's surprisingly funny talking to teenage boys about pornography or sexting. Um, and they're definitely teaching me more on those topics than I can teach them. Like, they know far more about pornography and sexting than I do. So I think that's also a really fun way to sort of make them the expert and have them almost teach us, like, what is the current state of sexting? You know, what is the behaviour? Let's talk about this behaviour so we can see what might be good or not so good about it. Um, I think the biggest thing I keep in mind while doing this work is, you know, if they walk away with nothing else, I want them to walk away with a good relationship with us as facilitators. Um, I want them to know they can form really respectful relationships where they can share their feelings and ideas. Um, and if we can role model that with them and they value our relationship, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this work. Um, I don't expect them to remember everything, but I hope that, you know, someday in the future they just think, oh, yeah, I remember when so-and-so chatted to us in high school about consent or or alcohol, and just the memory of that conversation shifts how they act in that one situation, you know. Even if it's something as small as, I don't know, drinking water between each alcoholic drink or taking that 10 seconds to breathe or walk away when they're really frustrated, you know. I think this job is all about those little ripples and, and how they cause a big ripple. I found uh, it really interesting when this social worker was talking about how she had her experience in domestic violence and family violence previously and how she's working in this space with young men and the translation of that experience into this work. Uh, I think you said before that actually you would maybe find this daunting running groups with boys and young men in this way and um, and. I think what's really fascinating for me is, you know, something that's really known to us now at this point in our history and in our time is the notion of toxic masculinity and of the um, the microaggressions that happen to women throughout their lives that then become acts of aggression in different ways as they 
travel through, right? Um, and it's something that, you know, thankfully we are talking about more and more and more and we are calling um, primarily men out on this behaviour more and more and more, right? Uh, but the idea of where does it come from, where does it start from and how does it then grow and develop into those very aggressive acts um, is something that we don't often focus on. Uh, the actual journey that that can take, right? I was really um, interested in this story where the social worker was really tracking that relationship between the impact that she'd seen on women and then the working with the boys and their notions and ideas and flippant comments that would come out and how that potentially could, in a circular way, come back to those experiences on women. Yes. Um yeah, look, there was a lot that you just said then that I, I'm kind of reflecting on. But I also found, you know how sometimes when we're thinking about working with young men um, and with young women, often the facilitators will be of the same gender? Yes. You know, like, yeah. So working as we've done, I, I used to run domestic violence groups. Um, I, I could not have even imagined in a minute having a male facilitator with me at the times that I was running it. Well, often when but we talk really... about, often, Liz, when we talk about the gender of the facilitator, we often make sure it's the same so that there's a comfort there for vulnerable peoples, right, so that they have someone that they can um, feel aligned with. That, that we would often be equating it with creating a safe environment for the group to take place for our, our, our group participants. That's right. However, this particular social worker's story has flipped my thinking about that and I, I, I'll probably do a whole lot more. But anyway, back to her. That is so interesting though, Liz. It, look, it, it, it is and I, and I think that um, having a female facilitator in this group would have such value, mm. you know, to have a woman to be able to, and, and a feminist at, at that, to be able to work with the boys in a, in a both a communication way, yeah. a relational way, but also to look at them in relation to men and women within the context of society and, as you said, to be looking at toxic masculinity both from the perception of a young man yes. but also to have um, the, the, a, a, a woman in the, in the room to be talking about the impact not just on her but on the young women that she had worked with previously mm. And the value of using that to help challenge some of the ideas that the young men had um, around um, women, around communication, around um, pornography. I, I just, it's got me thinking now, Mim, about that, that, that um, how that would have absolutely enhanced the, the group atmosphere, having a woman in the room that worked with them in the way that she did. Yeah. And I I like the way she used self as well in that in that group context was really very interesting. Like the handshaking. Yeah. At the beginning. When she was talking about the handshaking and the talking using um, finding a conversation to spark with them like about music and different things that she didn't previously know about but she built on. And I was thinking about the notion of building rapport and we've talked about the notion of building rapport quite a bit on this podcast at different points. But I was also thinking about these micro acts as being the flip side to microaggression, that actually there's a positive um, 
a positive modelling or um, example of behaviour that's happening in these moments, that whether the boys are aware of it in that second or not, they've been treated with respect and they're now going to be able to treat others with respect. And I think, I think that's a really important setup to a group that actually, you know, she's not the parent. She's not standing there saying, and she said that she did not want to be another voice in their ear telling them their behaviour was bad. And, and you know, from, from the perspective of role modelling again, God knows what kind of role modelling the boys are exposed to within the context of their own parenting. Well, that's um, right. You have no idea. So so that, like you say, Mim, that she's actually modelling deep respect for them and she also did that in the way she set up the group in the how are we going to, like the contracting stuff that she was able to talk about in terms of things like swearing. Yeah. From the outset, she's uh, uh, she's painting the parameters around, look, these are the words that are our swear words that we're, that we're going to challenge you on uh, for these reasons, so that there's a backstory to why language is so important in relation to the, the context of the group, for instance. Um but that um, that she's doing it from the beginning, so mm-hmm. laying down the ground rules, so that when those words come out, whether it be, you know, pussy, poofs, yeah, like yeah, whatever, yeah. they've got the backdrop in which to go, hey, just remember, this is remember way back we were able to say, well, you know, we, we agreed that we weren't going to use these words for these reasons. Yeah. That it's going to be a point of, oh, yeah, that's right, a reminder as opposed to, a humiliating moment for for you know the participants. Yeah, that yeah. They're, they're aware of the reasons why they're being being reminded, as opposed to, you know, I'd imagine often in class that um, that, that how the language might go down in a class. And again, this is this is what social work brings into the lives of these these young men. It's very different to a to even though there and we'll get to the teachable moment. Yeah. Even though there's a lot of learning going on in the group, the context in which they're learning and the way in which they're relating, I would imagine is quite different to the classroom setting. And I think also it was she summed it up really nicely when she said, It's not about you, it's about what we're creating. And I think that's what yeah. it is. It's not about you and the behaviour you're exhibiting right now. It's about what we have the capacity to create in this space, which is beautiful. Just quickly, I just want to mention that um, she referred to the group as a make it or break it group. And when she said For that, her? well, when yes. she said that, I firstly <laughs> thought, oh, you mean the kids, the young boys are going to make it or they're going to break it. But actually she didn't, right? She actually, it was a beautiful sense of insightful self-reflection when she said it was, is the group going to make her or break her? And I thought that is a really nice flip as well, that often when we think about the behaviour of young people, we think about them, whether they're going to be successful or not, whether they're going to be a good person or not. But actually the flip is what is the impact of that young person going to be on you and therefore you as the adult having the responsibility to respond. 
right? And she really did a lot of reflection around that, didn't she? Yeah. I like the way in which she she said, you know, I found that 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 reactive approach to, you know, sexist comments or behaviour in the group was getting me nowhere. Like it's it's a, it's a it's the same old paradigm that we have in, you know, I guess working with with young people in groups, for instance. Yeah. But that she reflected on that and took it from a different angle and also was starting to to talk to I would imagine there would have been a lot of reflection around as she said that that language and that behavior is a symptom of something much bigger than what's going on in the group and then being able to use that as a teachable moment to point that out to the the men yeah because I mean one of one of the things that we know from um you know working in this space is it can be very, very tricky to engage around languaging emotion, especially for a young man, to be able to be uh, able to articulate what's going on inside, to be vulnerable in a way that is um, meaningful and powerful for him and the people around him. And she was able to encourage that atmosphere that through you know various techniques and scaling the scaling question was one yeah from the word go another way in which she was getting people to getting the participants to engage in practicing emotional talk improving emotional IQ was through those scaling questions from the word go through through the role modeling yeah she's giving them skills in actually managing their emotions throughout their lives isn't she in these in these moments so they can come back to that and do that whenever they need to which is such a such a gift actually to these young people can we please talk about the pyramid I, oh yes, my let's god talk about the let's talk about it. the pyramid oh, like that blew beautiful. me away oh the creativity of actually taking those comments putting them on the board and then working with the boys to take a journey from where those comments can lead to I thought I just thought it was an exact really great example of creative social work practice I'd, I'd love to have known whether that was um, spontaneous as a result of all the reflection she had done or whether she had thought, well, maybe this is a strategy that I can try with the, with the group to see if it can contextualise and also make this into a rich, teachable moment. Um, but it was brilliant. Yeah, was and br- just there's just that acknowledgement as well that not everyone learns in the same way. So some of those boys sitting around the circle would be learning through speech and through talk, but some of them would have needed that visual, Right. So to actually be able to bridge that gap, like that's a perfect example of an exercise that brings together teaching through um, through speech as well as through a visual aid, and, right? And as well it reaches as, more people. And as well as through um, personal reflection. So mm. that questioning around is where does this come from? Yeah. Where does this language come from? Like before you even get to the impact of future, what what this can lead to, where does it come from? Now, we as social workers will often take that that style of thinking for granted. Yeah. But young guys, um, you know, between the ages of 15 and 19 or 13 or 16, whatever it is, that, that, you know, who asks them that question? 
in a, in a safe environment. Um, yeah, like, you know, again, I come back to wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone did a social work degree? But... but, <laughs> but <laughs> Which is valid, Liz. Which is valid. Thank you. <laughs> but I think that's right. You know, she's actually broadening their skills to be able to give them the, be able to take them into those realms in their future. And I think that's what she sort of finishes up by saying is that the impact on these boys and these young men will actually take them into adulthood and prepare them for their relationships. Yes, yeah, building that, um, building that from within the safety of the group. And you wonder too about the seeds that are sown from that group, that 10-week, 12-week, 16-week group, what impact that has on the relationship between those participants and each other and whether yeah. they, they continue to maybe question, call out, reflect. One of the other things that I thought she did really well was the using opportunity to um, flip the power dynamic in terms of the knowledge base in the group. So the example she gave was a sexting. To be able to use the group in their their knowledge, articulating that you know they they know far more about sexting than what I do. I learn heaps from them about this, but the impact that that can also have when you shift the expert role within both both an individual like a therapeutic counselling relationship, but also within the context of a group, to be acknowledging the 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 power that people have in terms of the information that they have and the knowledge that they have and that those boys were then able to share um, their knowledge and then she, you know, as a sideline here, she'd be thinking, wow, I, okay, I've got some real insight into what's going on in this space as well. That's right. Um, that, that, you know, the, the, the parents aren't going to get, that's for damn sure, and I would imagine a lot of high school teachers aren't going to get, that's for damn sure in relation to pornography and sexting and things like that. So I loved how she flipped that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very clever. was really excellent. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of conscious that there are a lot of listeners out there who um, also engage in group work and think about how to be creative in this space and how to um, engage with different age groups in different ways and social work students who are interested in group work and are wanting to get their hands dirty with these kind of groups. And often, you know... Um, experienced uh, practitioners might say, oh, go and do an easy group, go and do a teenage group or go and do a young, a kids group to start with. And I think this demonstrated how it, it's not all that easy, Liz, actually. that If someone had said to me, go and do an easy group and start off with a bunch of young men, you wouldn't see <laughs> me for dust. You definitely would not. <laughs> but I just wanted to to, to um, highlight, isn't it great, the sharing of the recipes, like to share that strategy, um, which is, which like I would take that, be able to take that into a group that I'd be running with young women or, you know, like or, or in the classroom setting with social work students or, or, or you know, I, I just... We are but the conduit of recipes, I reckon, so in this podcast. If anyone, if anyone, any, anyone's listening out there and they take the pyramid exercise and go and use it in your own practice context somewhere, let us know. Like we'd love to know that and we can feed that back to this social worker and let's keep the cycle of knowledge going. I think it's fantastic. The practice wisdom flows between us all no matter where we're practising all over the world at the moment, which is great. 
Should that be where we end it, do you think, Min? Yeah, I think, look, I think... um, really want to say thank you to this social worker for their story and uh, all the um, fantastic group work stories that have been coming out of the podcast. Uh, If you are listening and you think you have a story that you'd like to share with us, please, please, please get out your phone, do a voice memo and send it to us through uh, our website, socialworkstories.com. We would really love to hear from you. Uh, Before we sign off, Liz, should we say thank you to our producers, Ben Joseph and Justin Stesh, and our two journalism interns, Noni and Hamish. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing behind the scenes. And um, I really just want to say to everyone, keep safe and take care at this time. Well, I'd also like to say that a good group worker would also come back to that scale question that you... Oh, my gosh, you're absolutely right. Not wanting to kind of, you know... But you did ask us and I'm, I'm willing to share. I've been reflecting oh, Liz, on it. Liz, the, ever the practitioner, go for it. Tell us, what, where did you rate on the 1 to 10 scale today, Liz? I rated on a – I'm up in the 8s. Thank you, <gasps> Mim. That's and fantastic. I, 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 yep, I know. I am on a day off. Um, I'm, I'm also just about to go off and have a massage. Um, I, you know, I get to sit in a cupboard and virtually communicate with one of my close friends. <laughs> like what I, I am a lucky and blessed woman. Now back to you. What was that your is beautiful. scale? So I think I'm probably a six and a half or a seven. I went and did yoga this morning. So that made it positive but I'm back home in my very cold flat it feels like and um and I'm uh thinking about uh how I've just come to the end of a couple of weeks of leave which means I have to go back to work very soon and uh getting my head back in that space so I reckon I'm hanging at a six and a half seven but what I'm hoping is that that actually doesn't decline with going back to work next week and keeps on going or also increases as I keep doing more yoga and keep you know trying to nourish myself in different ways so um everybody out there if you got in the low numbers for that scale don't feel disheartened this is the as our social worker said it's an opportunity to take stock and to think about what it is that you need to be doing in your everyday and um And hopefully it's uh, a way to support you and a way to open the conversation between you and others for what you're needing right now as well. Really, really conscious that everyone's doing it pretty tough at the moment. All right. Take care, everyone. All the best. See you in a couple of weeks. Bye for now.